Welcome to the Whose Body Is It podcast. I'm your host, Isabella Malvin. For those who don't know me, I'm a birth worker, a life coach, hypnotist, and a former liberal feminist turned radical truth teller. On this podcast, I expose the forces at play attempting to control our minds and bodies, such as transgender ideology, pornography, prostitution, and so much more. Together, we'll untangle patriarchal lies as you listen to jaw-dropping interviews with women from around the world. Warning, while listening to this podcast, you might find yourself triggered or perhaps notice where you've been biting your tongue on the issues that matter most to you. In my coaching and hypnosis, I help women and men stop getting triggered by every single thing, cultivate resilience, stop unwanted behaviors, and increase self-confidence. You can book your first session at whosebodyisit.com, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. And I just want to say that it's because of your endless support that I'm able to interview amazing women, get their stories out, and produce regular episodes for you. So with that being said, please like, comment, and subscribe to my channel on YouTube. And if you're listening in, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And also consider making a financial contribution via the link in my show notes. You can also visit my activist sticker shop. My pro-woman stickers have the power to intercept transhumanist programming. So take a photo of your stickers out in the wild and tag me on Instagram at whose body is it? Without further ado, let's get into this week's story. Shira Richter is a researcher, filmmaker, and multimedia artist whose work on motherhood, mother's work, and living in a military state confronts a dominant narrative. She's been censored for covering topics such as friendship between Israeli and Palestinian women and postpartum depression. Shira notes that mainstream media represents the interests of the state, whether that's regarding health care, war, or women's bodies. The media, like the state, wants ordinary people to carry out embittered battles on their behalf. Shira is no stranger to controversy as one of the original signers of the 2015 Open Letter to Mana, authored by Mary Lou Singleton, which protested the removal of the words women and mother in their educational materials. In this episode, we explore the intersection of the scandemic, transgender ideology, industrial birth practices, and female erasure within the context of Israel. We also get into the expectations of Israeli Jewish mothers to circumcise their baby boys and to send them to war. Shira and I also discuss the success of the three in-person events we, we put together in Israel this past August. Shira, oh, I'm so excited to finally record an episode with you. We we had an epic time in Israel um, just less than a month ago. 
before we get into the events and everything that we just did, um, can you first just start off by introducing yourself and and telling um, my audience, you know, who you are and and what you do? I'm one of those that is very hard to define um, because I I kind of research what is uh, you know not a subject. Uh, I research the status, the socioeconomic, artistic status of a mother and mother's work. I do it through different um, different mediums and different ways and I publish different uh, pieces of work. For instance, I, I started out as a filmmaker and I made a, a film and then I became a mother and I couldn't make films anymore. So I started making um, uh, photo exhibitions, actually the photo and text exhibitions and video art. And then I continued uh, publishing via creating visual performance lectures, which I performed uh, in several and dozens of conferences in Israel and out of Israel. And at the same time, I also published a few chapters in books, uh, both academic and peer-reviewed, and also uh, um, chapters in Israeli books on subjects like postpartum depression and the status of a mother, etc. So, and I've also been an activist in trying to, actually, this is interesting, trying to convince the, the formal educational system to include a gender consciousness studies in the educational system. Now, why is this important? Because what I meant when I became active on this subject and what now is being, how people now think about gender consciousness and gender education in, in the educational system are two different things. So I started out very naively, well, when I look at it now, it's naively, but uh, basically my focus is always on the status of a mother. And I look at it through the, uh, the economy. I look at it through the arts. I look at it through cinema. I look at it through the court system. I look at it through um, my activism with women who have uh, violent, violent ex-husbands. I look at it through, um, you know, the educational system. I, I kind of, you know, my life, I treat my life and everyday life as something that's worthy of researching. So I meet things during just living, you know, going through life. What's what's so interesting about, you know, getting to know you, for me, getting to know you and, and doing this interview and collaborating on these events is, you know, we're not, you know, this episode in your work is not, you know, female erasure in, in the context of North America. You're like, you're dealing with a very specific context of female erasure which we'll get into, which is, you know, from a military state, from a pr the perspective of a mother who was making radical decisions for her sons and her family, you know, 20 years ago, um, from the perspective of someone who's been in, in, in one of the places in the world in the past two years that had some of the most restrictive orders and mandates in place around COVID. So what, yeah, I just find it so fascinating. There are so many layers of what, you know, what you're doing in in that we have this overlap, right? We have these intersections of, you know, like our, our, our criticism around COVID and being gender critical, but there's so many more layers to um, your particular uh, location in the world. And 
I really, yeah, it was so fascinating meeting all of the Israeli turfs because they're very different from the UK turfs or the American turfs or the Australian turfs. Like it's a very, very particular intersection and you add the element of COVID critical. So you, you, you're not unfamiliar with being canceled and, uh, you know, for, for just from using the word Israel, from being an Israeli artist. And I, I wondered if you could speak to, you know, the perspective of being, you know, a mother in a military state or even just a person in a military state. And then what that has meant, you know, maybe we'll get into a bit later what that has meant for your um, you're even trying to talk about your art, let alone gender criticism or covid um, as an Israeli woman uh, going going abroad. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I I met cancel culture in in many ways before it even started the way we know it today as an Israeli first I think maybe I'll start from what I met regarding the media because a lot of what's happening in covid is like um, why did I uh, you know, when you look at what's happening in the pandemic, you know, in the big, um, it's a con, it's a con, con work, that's a con job, it's a con job. And a lot of what's happening now, I mean, in order to understand it, people are learning about, you know, media, for instance, censorship by the media. So I met that many years ago when I was a young filmmaker, and I was invited to do a film about two women, an Israeli and Palestinian who had the message that, you know, Israelis and Palestinians can be friends. And this was in the 2000s. And they decided to take their friendship to the, um, to the test and threw it into this crazy women, all, only women Jeep rally in the desert, in the Sahara Desert of Morocco, the Moroccan Sahara Desert. And, um, and I followed them and I was chosen to do this film because I'm a feminist and because I, my, my works, I was very young, but I, they knew, people who invited me to do it knew that I was a feminist and I did things about women, okay? I made a, a film about uh, women's subjective sexuality before this and I became a little bit famous, you know, just locally famous. So, but then I found out that um, I wanted to make a film about friendship you know, about two women from two different states who say, we are, we are women, we are mothers, we don't want this war, we don't want this bloodshed, you know, our hearts are breaking, and let's do something in order to gather attention. So they participated as a, as a team, as a team in this uh, Jeep rally, and being a team is like the, the relationship and the communication is really important. Now, a lot of us women are really focused on the need for relationship and communication. So it makes sense. So I followed their, you know, their trip in the, during the rally. And my intention was basically their intention. I wanted to kind of get inside, you know, and sit inside their car with my camera during this really, really tough Jeep rally and kind of see, you know, how, what does a working relationship look like in a really tough you know, tough test of the friendship, because this is a test, you know, it's not easy. Doing this Jeep rally is like, I mean, people died there. It was, you know, uh, very, very hot. It was, I think, 40 degrees or something. And it's just a competition, you know, it's a competition. And um, so here I am coming from Israel, and I want to take a look at their friendship. And 
but I'm only, not only am I a young filmmaker, I'm only a filmmaker. I'm only a film um, director because actually the money, the people with the money decide what's actually going to be in the film. So I'm saying, oh, I want to see their friendship and I want to look at the, you know, how the friendship's working and both the producer and the other places and the other institutions that gave me money said, well, actually, you know, make them fight. <laughs> They're probably not really friends. They're probably doing it just for money or whatever, or for fame. And they're probably just secret service, uh, secret uh, spies or from the Mossad. And uh, so uh, there was a lot of cynicism from the, the production company. And also, but the main thing was, we want to make money out of this film. How are we going to make money out of this film? Friendship is, doesn't interest anyone. Make them fight, you know, like fights sell. That's the, the idea that was behind it was that fights sell. And like, these are two women. So it's like a cat fight, you know, throw them in the mud, let mm -hmm. them struggle. Let's get some action. Let's get some ratings. Basically it's money. Mm -hmm. So here, here I am. I want to make a film about friendship and how friendship works and what's this glue that connects these people, you know, where most of us are fighting. And, but the, the money the production company says to me, no, make them fight. So these are two different films. And actually, what then I that's when I understood uh, several things. I understood the driving motivation behind media, which is money. And, and they think that blood sells. And that's why we have so much violence on TV, because they think, conflict sells and fighting sells and makes money. So they have an interest so that things are bloody and violent. That's one thing. And twisting, you know, taking something and something and making it into something else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So basically, in a way, I was, uh, as a young director, I was being manipulated and censored. And now what do I do here that I have my, my hearts belong to these two women. I fell in love with them. And how can I betray them and make a film? How can I make them fight? How can I betray them? So anyhow, the, the, the idea that um, the, economy, the economy wants us to compete, wants us to fight, and the media participates in this, that those are two things I, I learned while making the film. And these are two things that are happening now during our COVID thing. The media mm -hmm. is the mainstream media. Whoever's been following what's happening regarding COVID, then the mainstream media is censoring any kind of different, different opinion. I was censored. I wanted to make a film about a relationship, a caring relationship, and I was kind of censored or put into a corner that I had to, I, I found my way out of it, but, but, but I learned, I learned that lesson then. Mm -hmm. And I also learned the lesson that uh, the media decides, you don't decide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The media mm -hmm. represents the state. And I, I kept on, Anyhow, these are lessons I just started learning th then, and then I just kept meeting this reality more and more.
as, as I went on. Mm-hmm. I met it regarding, uh, for instance, the censorship, the censorship of my artwork regarding um, postpartum depression. There's a very, actually, you can show a link actually to uh, an interview, <laughs> an interview that was done with uh, myself and another curator. And the curator made an exhibition on the subject of uh, the reality and postpartum of postpartum depression. And she contacted several artists and I was one of them and it was a group exhibition. And we were invited to um, a very famous talk show kind of mainstream. And uh, before we came, I was contacted by the production, you know, a researcher and they asked me about my works and they asked me to send in copies, you know, very good quality, etc. And and this was live, live TV. And we come in, both of us, and uh, the interviewer asks us all kinds of questions. And then there was a man and a woman. And then the woman asked me, okay, sure. So what did you bring? What works did you bring to our to the show and she met the art show. Now, during the, from the beginning of the interview, you know, the background, like we have a background here, the background of the, of our, of the show was slides from the, the exhibition. So when she asked me that question, it just makes sense that I'd look at the slides and, you know, wait when my work is shown and say, this is what I brought, these are the images and this is what they mean. And I, so my, my, my eyes go to the screen and she sees my eyes go to the screen and she says, oh, you're looking for your works. They won't be here. And I'm like, what? <laughs> this is live TV. <laughs> like, what do you mean they won't be here? And she says, oh yeah, uh, we're not showing them here. And I'm like, okay, you know, like new information. Like why? And she says, well, they're too, too difficult to digest. So, uh, and my works were censored several times like this, but this is the only time that you get to see how they are censored live. And not only how they are censored live by whoever decides mm-hmm. these images are too difficult to, to di- digest. Now, people probably think, oh, maybe they are very gory. Maybe they're very ugly. Maybe they're protecting the viewers. The thing is, you know, the curator said to them when when she heard that they censored these works, she said, well, you guys, you know, on TV, you show blood, you show violence, you show war, you show so injuries, you, and you, you can't show uh, photographs of the body of a, of a woman postpartum, photos that are actually extremely aesthetic and very delicate and actually they remind us of mother earth Mm -hmm. so um so here again we have this censorship of uh you know especially Mm -hmm. being women who want to Mm -hmm. you know um show the meaning of the meaning and power of motherhood because Mm -hmm. if i go back to the film for a minute then the reason i wanted to make a film about an Israeli and Palestinian and women is because my question was as a woman and as, and I wasn't a mother yet, but I was asking where, like we have wars all the time. You know, we always have 
this war, that war, big wars, small wars, wars that are called wars, wars that are called other um, crazy names. And I was realizing that as a woman and as, you know, I have, I have a body that makes people. My body makes people. And these people are made by women, by women's bodies. And women spend most of their time and energy on making people. It's not only when you're pregnant. It's not only when you give birth. It's like during all of educational process, you know, till, till a little child reaches adulthood, most of the hours of caretaking are done by women. If it's women, if it's us as mothers, if it's uh, most of the the teachers in the educational system are women. So it's like, so we know the price, the, the price tag on life. We know how much we put into it, right? We know how much we invested into it. So I was thinking, wait, if we are the ones creating life and we are the ones investing in life, so we are the ones who know the real price of life. So going to war, when a country decides to go to war, when our leadership, our so-called leadership, decides to go to war, who's the ones making the decisions of, uh, on, uh, regarding the sacred lives? And as any woman in Israel knows who has a little bit of consciousness left in her after being brainwashed, then all anytime there is uh, conflict, it becomes bloody and you know missiles go flying between the side you won't see any women at the table none you won't you open the tv it's all generals and all politicians and all of them are men all of them are men totally men deciding regarding if we live or if we die if our children live or if our children die and excuse me you know it's like you know they say if you you know you know the value of something according to the price and mm. they do not know the price of of bleeding for 40 years. I mean, we don't even before we have children, we bleed, we bleed, we bleed something like 40 years. You know, our, our periods are for 40 years. So we are in, we are becoming, we are ordained to be mothers, whether we become one or not. We are ordained to be mothers by nature. And so even if we do not become one, we are ordained. We have periods every month. Our body, I call it practicing. I call the period of practicing. The body is practicing. Let's, you know, start making the nest and prepare everything. Oh, no, nothing comes along. So we check it out. But our bodies are practicing. So, and, and I know from my research that our bodies are much more than just, you know, a, a womb and breasts and it's much more intricate and it's much more biological and everything's connected. You know, you can't just disconnect these things. So it's like, you know, where are we when people decide that life is cheap? Mm -hmm. Who decides life is cheap? Excuse me, man, you know, I'm in a heterosexual relationship. I have two boys, but they're the ones deciding life is cheap. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that's what made me, uh, that's, uh, that's one of the things that I think it's the most central reason I decided to, to continue with this subject. 
I also, of course, became a real life mother and I kept on meeting the erasure of me, my work, my feelings, my needs, my, my body, my existence, my thoughts, my subjectivity everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, and so I continued researching the subject because I wanted to exist and I wanted to value my own experience. But I also felt that it's really, it's a political act, especially in Israel, especially with the awful conflict we have here. I mean, uh, my one of my last performance lectures Uh, my international lectures um, before COVID was in Berlin, in the foreign ministry of Berlin. It was during a conference that was uh, included women from Palestine, Israel, and Germany. It was the initiative of a German woman who felt very responsible for the conflict in Israel. And she put a lot of work into, into the subject. And we sat in the foreign ministry for a few days and we had a workshop and then there was a conference. And in the conference, my, my performance lecture was titled Conscious Motherhood or Mothering or Mother Work Can Challenge the Infrastructure of War. Okay, conscious motherhood can challenge the infrastructure of war. And what I meant by that is we have power as women and as mothers, but our power is is erased. It's um, ridiculed. It's weakened. We are weakened by society. Mm-hmm. So when the, when the children become 18 or even 16, they are hijacked by the army and we're like so exhausted by then that we and so mm. and we're all brainwashed ourselves. There's like a willing you're saying that there's almost like because of the exhaustion, some mothers like are even eager or relieved for their children to be taken off their hands. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think, um, first of all, from the beginning of being a mother, I was, uh, you know, you you are really you have absolutely very little support you have very very little support and mothering is really hard work really difficult work you hardly get any support from the state or from you know the culture unless you're really lucky and you're born into a very warm family which supports you and you know you're usually in a heterosexual relationship you don't get much support either from your partner because he's working presumably He's working, uh, he's also working very hard in order to, you know, usually a lot of articles state that, you know, this idea of feminism and equality is really nice until you hit parenthood and motherhood. Because as soon as that starts, the inequality just appears and it's really big, the inequality, because let's start with the physical. He does not get pregnant. (laughs) You can stand on your head. It's not him getting pregnant. It's not his body changing. It's not his. I mean, they know now the changes that a woman's body, not only body, everything, her body, her psyche, her spirit, everything, the whole chemistry of her body goes through when she becomes, especially for the first time, when she goes from not being a mother to becoming a mother, it's like two different animals, totally Mm -hmm. two different Mm -hmm. mammals 
also a female who is not a mother and a female who is a mother, two totally different creatures. I mean, men change too. Uh, and they say, especially men who's, um, who are um, hands-on fathers, meaning they're, they're involved. You know, the more a man is evol in invol involved, he evolves. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, we were never equal. I think I will, if I tell me if I'm, I'm hearing you wrong, but you're saying that the, that when you, any, any kind of illusion that you were equal, like biologically equal, or, you know, that it would be kind of, you'd be on these two parallel paths forever, uh, was kind of blown apart. And I think that's like, that's the danger of the equality narrative that we've been sold in like leftist feminism we were never equal and that's okay because our differences like if our if our differences are are fostered and if our differences are supported and acknowledged like only one of us is gonna get pregnant and have a baby and and give birth only one of us is going to be the 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 you know responsible for keeping the babies alive like feeding the babies you know like acknowledging that like starting from that and then building a structure and support system around those biological truths would, you know, to will totally and does totally throw the equality narrative, you know, out the window. But when they're, you know, here and I and I know this is the thing in Israel, too, like there uh, men feel like like men. I've had men say to me, you know, just the most ridiculous things like about um you know, I was talking about how the breast forms the shape of the palate in the baby's mouth. Like the, the breast is, you know, breastfeeding up until age two, like will form the oral life of the baby, like forever will be the determining factor on the baby's oral health, right? Not just their immune system and all those other things. And a man, an Israeli man said to me, and again, men say this here too, it's not specific to, to men in Israel, but, you know, he said to me, uh, you know, but you know, they make bottles that are shaped like breasts now. And he was, you know, like like trying to say that there is some kind of replacement, which is the female erasure, the mother erasure, just an extension of that. And what I was hearing when he was saying that was, but how will I connect with my baby? How will I feel equally responsible for nourishing and feeding my baby? Well, that's not your job. Like, actually, you should have no part in that because it's really not about you. That part is about the mother baby. Breastfeeding is about mother baby. It's not about dad. So what can the dad do? Obviously, the dads can do a lot. They can be in service. They can be cooking. They can be cleaning. They can, you know, be be nourishing in, in so many other ways. So anyway, um, I think like the shock of what you're describing, like becoming a new mother in that paradigm or thinking even going, which is most women's experience, we're thinking that you know, postpartum is going to be some kind of 50, 50 experience, you know, that, that suffering is okay. Cause we're not in the clan. We're not in the, you know, the, the, um, the village. And there's this expectation that is totally contradictory to the biological reality of, of motherhood. So you had mentioned, you know, You'd mentioned, and, and again, we, maybe we won't get into it in so much detail, but 
from what you've shared with me, like you had a pretty typical industrial birth experience where you were surveilled and you were treated like property. And like that was also like a huge part of your like awakening of like, well, does my voice matter? Do my wants matter? Like, how come no one told me that I was going to have this stretched belly and all this extra skin after giving birth to twin boys, you know, vaginally and like, you know, um, and the sad part is like, like your experience is still kind of radical on the spectrum of industrial birth. Like the fact that you, you know, gave birth vaginally to your twin boys, the fact that you decided not to circumcise. I mean, those are radical moves, even in the context of having a conventional kind of industrial birth experience, which is so, which is such a low, obviously we know that's such a low standard. You told me about Mother's Day being canceled in Israel. Can you, can you speak to that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was uh, researching this um, erasure of mothers, which started with me in the hospital. Um, I was sitting there after giving birth to two boys in Israel, in a military state, and in a state which usually says, um, I mean, it's very, it's, in to have children in Israel. You're supposed to have children, you want children, you're supposed to give children to the demographic in order that Israelis and Jews, I mean, Jew, I mean, our state grows. And so, and if you do not have children, you are really, really looked down at. You know, mm. Really, it's like, it's really difficult to decide that you don't want children in Israel. It's, it's a huge taboo, huge. And there's an Israeli researcher who writes about this. But anyhow, here I am in the hospital. I gave birth to not one, but to two new Jewish babies, right? Two and boys. Two <laughs> boys. So I'm like, I'm the queen, right? Here I am. Where's the red carpet for me? You know? <laughs> I mean, I mean, here I am finally at the, the height of my of the meaning of me being a woman in Israel and Judaism. And I was treated like shit. In the hospital, I was really treated like shit. I was treated, and it was so, and it's also, there's this deep, deep meaning of, um, it's so meaningful of, cre- of being the co-creator of another, of a human being. So also spiritually, there's something very meaningful. And and the, the way that the the nurses and the, the people in the hospital, and even my, my extended family treated it, was so empty. So, so, uh, so that made me, that made me say something's really, really askew here. Something is not healthy here. There's no, there's, I mean, if this is how a woman is treated at the height of her womanhood, especially here, then no wonder our world is in such shitty situation. And, and that's how I started researching the, you know, I was, my needs were erased. My, my thoughts were erased. My experience was erased. And then I discovered that uh, uh, Mother's Day in Israel was canceled. <laughs> Talking about cancel culture. It was canceled, what, 10 years ago or something? And I'm like, what? Why? It was canceled because how convenient because we want to be nice to people who don't have mothers whose mothers died or who you know 
were adopted. The reasons for canceling a mother are always positive reasons. Like, you know, the reasons are always positive. That's the same thing with the COVID. It's always for the good of the family, for the good of society, for the good of grandma and grandpa, go get, you know, inoculated. It's always, you know, the, the, the reasons are, you know, cameras are all over and it's for your protection. So it was a positive reason that uh, Mother's Day was canceled. And in fact, most of mothers who I talk to about this say, uh, that's, yeah, you know, it's not fair to children who don't have a mother. And when I say, wait a minute, we can add another day or we can, you know, what, anyhow, it was turned into Family's Day. This gets even more interesting is that Mother's Day was actually in Israel was created uh, in thanks to a woman who was not a mother, which is really interesting because the same, a similar thing happened in the United States. In the United States, Mother's Day was created, well, it has two mothers. There probably are more, but it is two mothers who created Mother's Day. One of them herself was not a mother. That's uh, Anna Reeves. Anna Reeves, I think her name is Anna Reeves. She created Mother's Day in honor of her mother who had something like eight children and was very active in the Civil War on both sides, meaning taking care, tending to the wounded on both sides. So she wanted to honor a lot of her mother's work and she herself was not a mother, but she's she lobbied for Mother's Day in the United States and she convinced President Wilson to put it in to create a day in the calendar, in the calendar, the American calendar for Mother's Day. There's another woman who's connected to Mother's Day in United States, and her name is Julia Ward Howe. Julia Ward Howe is a fascinating story because she herself is a mother, and Though she didn't uh, convince Wilson, she didn't do the convincing on the ground, but she, her story is really fascinating and connects totally to my story because she wrote uh, the Battle Hymn Republic. It's one of, it's a, the most famous battle song, <laughs> the most famous battle song. So what would the writer of the most famous battle song have with motherhood, right? Like what? So she wrote this song because she was an abolitionist. So she was very pro uh, pro the war when it started. But after 10 years, she went 180 degrees and she saw the horror of war. And she totally left that, that idea of it being a positive thing. She was horrified by war and she wrote what's called Mother's Day Proclamation. Mother's Day Proclamation actually is a calling for a day, a Mother's Day, a global Mother's Day to honor pacifism. Here we are, my idea. She, I mean, when I discovered it, this is all connected because I started researching Mother's Day when I discovered it in Israel that Mother's Day was, you know, was canceled. Then I started looking for Mother's Day all, all, all in different countries and I, 
found out and I discovered her work, which now actually there's more, you can find it more online than you could hardly find it. Like 10 years ago, it was hardly mentioned. And she, so her Mother's Day proclamation, which did not become as famous, of course, as ba the Battle Hymn Republic, the song, because who cares about moms, you know, is beautiful. It's so beautiful because it's pacifistic. She said, we as mothers, we need to all connect connect as mothers, meaning she was talking about solidarity. She was talking about political solidarity. And she says, we know what it is to the, bring life. She, she said the same thing that I was thinking, the price of life, it's we who know it. We know what it takes to create a human being. Mm -hmm. And we will not agree that these precious lives be taken by the greed and capitalistic interests. And we shall, we refuse. That is being a refusenik, which is called in Israel, refusenik to refuse to go to war, which is a shameful thing to be in Israel. Mm. And that is, uh, she wrote this declaration and she wanted uh, women to swear to each other and women and especially mothers to swear to each other that I will not let my son kill your son. Wow. Think about that. I will not. That's like, uh, you know, a, a connection between women. It makes me still gives me goosebumps when I discovered it. That's what I was meaning. I will not let my son kill your son. That is our pact as mothers who know what the price of, of, of life is. We know the price of life. We know how much it costs. We know it from a visceral way. We know it. Wow. That is really powerful. I mean, I, I, yeah, when you shared the history of mother's day in the U S and, and the fact that it was canceled and in Israel, I, my jaw just dropped. I was like, I'm sorry, what, what family day? So this kind of neutralizing of the mother, the, uh, the equality narrative being pushed really hard in, in Israel for, you know, for the purpose of, you know, uh, uh, women going to the army. Um, I know that there's been a lot of activism with making sure women get into, get to fight in combat, uh, which is really controversial and something that I, you know, with, with, you know, the not even adding in the trans identified kind of uh, layered um, thing I, I see as 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 problematic in terms of like liability. And, you know, if we're going to say that men are faster and stronger, you know, and, and have a stronger grip strength, like if we're going to acknowledge that men have an advantage over women in the in a physical capacity in terms of like in sports or in combat, um, then we have to acknowledge that on some level, a woman in a, in a male combat in, in a combat scenario with, with men is a liability for them, yes. for the cause, for the war, for, you know, like it's, it's, it's a liability. So there, there's so much there, but yeah, I mean, so what we're doing now is really like pulling examples of, you know, female erasure, mother erasure, you know, in, in Israel. And you're speaking to like the pact amongst mothers and then also the, you know, the, um, the betrayal that you felt like being a mother of twin boys, you know, an experience you thought was going to be like 
uh, treated with respect and, and love and dignity that was totally um, you were just an- annihilated, which which is the experience of, of you know, women here as well, um, birthing in the in the in the system. So here, any any American Jew knows that, you know, if you're if you're uh, if you're going to a synagogue, you're whether you're a male or female, you're going to have a mitzvah. You're going to have a bat mitzvah. If you're a girl, you're going to have a bar mitzvah if you're a boy. Um, You mentioned to me that (laughs) this. okay, the bat mitzvah. So the mitzvah for girls coming of age is a relatively new phenomena in in Israel and that, yeah, maybe you can share like, you know, as a girl, what, what, what that experience was like for you. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm in my fifties. So this was a while ago that, uh, our family dealt with, the bat mitzvah, which is, uh, or bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah is for the boys and bat mitzvah is for the girls. And remember this because it's important. What happened is that actually, uh, a few years ago, there was a conference in Copenhagen. It was called Motherness 2, which is a group of uh, women artists and researchers who research the subject of, uh, of the mother, or maternal mother, you know, the status in, in uh, academic and artistic uh, ways. And one of the participants, a good friend of mine and a great artist, her name is Courtney Kessel, and she contacted several uh, artists. And we are so, we are very connected because you know we're we're mothers, we're artists, and we realize we all realize that even you know it's like you don't have to be in Israel to realize that something's really sick in our Western culture when you become a, a mother because you start looking at culture and the way. It works through your child. It's really important because it's a it's a transition that you see suddenly. You look at how the world works, and you look at your child, and your child is going is entering this world, and it's suddenly the violence, and suddenly the competition, and suddenly, you know, suddenly it becomes very clear that something's sick. It's not the world that you want for your child. So we all share this point of view and we share this point of view also as artists who were told as women actually not to have children because that would ruin our artistic career. I mean, in t- even in 2014, another two women in Dallas, artists who I um, cooperated with also told me that it was um, that they were told do you know, becoming a mother would ruin your career. So anyhow, we all connect around this idea that we need a we need a we need a more we need a different culture. We want we want different values and different ethics because we want our children to go into a world that we we like. Very mm-hmm. simple. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, so we have this conference. It's called the Motherness Two, and she did a performance. And this performance was uh was with her daughter she does she does projects with her daughter and her daughter became i think it was 12 or 13 and she says you know she's transitioning she's becoming a woman and i want to do a ceremony and each of my friends my women friends conscious feminist artists please you know offer my daughter something for this transition you know and we're all artists so I'm like, okay, great, super. And I started thinking what I want to give her and what I want to, you know, what wisdom I have that I can offer her. And it was a difficult time for me because 
the boys, my boys were in their teen years and I was, the last thing I wanted was to, uh, to say something positive. I was so, so angry. It was so difficult this time for me of uh, both being in my menopause and then being in their teen years. But I was thinking, okay, I was trying to think, what will I, you know, what will I give to her? And I was, so I thought back and of my life when I had my bat mitzvah, when I transitioned into a 12 or 13 year old. And then I'm thinking, and not, there's nothing there. There's nothing in my, and I'm like, wait a minute. Did I have a bat mitzvah? <laughs> I didn't even remember. I had absolutely no memory at all. I did remember that my my brothers who are younger than me had because I created their the invitation for the events for both of them. So I'm the graphic artist, I'm the artist of the family, and I very happily I remember enjoying it very much, making the invitation for their bar mitzvah. But I had absolutely no memory uh, and no even memory of being put mm. aside, nothing. So I called up my father on the phone. <laughs> And I say, what happened with me? Did I have a bat mitzvah? And he said, oh, this is my biggest mistake of not giving you a bat mitzvah. That's how I learned I didn't have a bat mitzvah. And what's really interesting is how I totally, like it, it I totally was co-opted into not having one. I didn't even have the need to mm. have one. I didn't even have jealousy towards my brothers for having one. And I was the older one. I no need at all. And that shows you how well the brainwashing is work, working of erasing the female. And why is this so important? You'd say, now people would ask, you know, um, to have this ceremony, you know, it's just a religious ceremony. You don't have to have it, blah, blah, blah. Actually, the thing is, my boys decided not to have the ceremony, which is interesting. The ceremony itself is you, the boy, he gets invited to stand in the most important place in the synagogue, which is usually on a stage next to the leader of the community, which is the rabbi, mm -hmm. next to the most important thing in Judaism, which is the Torah, the book, the sacred book, which is, you know, the most important, one of the most important thing in, in Judaism is the book, the learning. And so he feels, and he's invited to be, to be a leader, and he's kind of given a taste of what leadership tastes like and what it feels like. And Anyone who's ever gotten on stage, stood on stage, you know, it's, 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 it's very powerful and scary also. So the community says, come, we want you to think about being our leader soon. And girls don't get that. And that's why when my niece had her uh, but mitzvah, and I was uh, invited to say some things, I was thinking, wait a minute, I don't want to uh, hog the stage, you know, like, and like say all these very important things. I want her to feel the stage. And this is because, you know, several years have passed and many girls do have a bat mitzvah. But actually it's not even called a bat mitzvah. It's called, and listen to this word, it's called bat mitzvush. Bush. 
let me swoosh, let me swoosh. And usually it's very pretty and a girl likes to get a book of photography, of photographs of her like a model. Mm. And, and it's even treated with a word that is mitzvush. It's very cute and it's very right. silly and it's very pretty. It's right. not it's a, serious. It's like the if, like uh, you spend like a couple weeks in Israel and you'll hear people say hayush. It's like a cutesy way. It's like a cutesy kind of um, add on to any word. Hayush, bayush. Yeah. So I couldn't believe when you told me when you told me that they they can't even it's not even given the dignity of the the like rightful word. It's like, oh, I guess if you want it, we can like we can make some variation, this cutesy variation for you just to like it's it's infantilizing. Exactly. And, and it and it would be one thing. OK, I could get behind. OK, well, OK, a, a male and female. OK, there would be different initiations. I can understand that if the, the ceremonies would be different, like I could understand it's not that uh i think you are i think that that they need to be exactly the same but it's the infantilizing and uh, the element of it and the that there is a hierarchy uh kind of um in place with the, the of how it's even talked about the way that it's just kind of added on a bit later as a, a kind of a, an extra um and then also you know the the uh the naming like what would be the bris you know for a boy if 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 a mother is circumcising, uh, there is not. I mean, very few people do the the Brit Milah, like the naming announcement for the girls. Is that right? So, like uh, the opportunity, the like the opportunity to introduce the little boy into the world to the family is through the bris, where he's circumcised, and it's also a naming announcement and a kind of like, hey, this is my this is my son. But when a little girl is born, there isn't an equivalent ceremony where the parents say, hello, this is, you know, this is my daughter. This is her name. Uh, thankfully, it's not normalized that she's, you know, mutilated her, her genitalia, uh, you know, that we're not dealing it on, on both ends as it's horrendous enough to just do to one sex. So there isn't. Yeah. So I also see that there's a there's quite a gap there just in the the naming, like saying like this, this child is important enough for us to present a name and announce and share like with the world. We're only going to do that with the boys. All right. Right. Sometimes sometimes couples do uh, what did they call it? Uh, brita, where they do a party. Nobody's cut. Nobody bleeds. Nobody cries. It's much nicer. Well, they sometimes they decide to do it, but it's not in the culture. Yes. Right. 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 I mean, it's miraculous that, yeah, I mean, your decision not to circumcise your twin boys like that, that even admits the, you know, the kind of the, the birth experience that was stolen from you, that you were still re retained like autonomy in, in that decision you stood by and really like held strong on your decision as a mother you know, for, for that, because I, I know lots of mothers in Israel who say that they didn't want to circumcise, you know, their sons and then they do, you know, so it's one thing to say you don't want it or to prefer it not to happen. It's another thing to make sure at all costs, even the cost of the marriage, right. That it not happen. Well, um, in my case, I have to be honest. I was, I did a lot of, um, I did a lot of research about the circumcision and I, I knew my what I wanted, but 
I went to my partner and I said, I'd like to not circumcise, but to be honest, because I am not a male and I don't live in this society as a man, mm -hmm. I have no idea what the experience is. You know, I don't know. So, so I said, I did actually, I wasn't that brave, I think, because I said to him, your decision um, means a lot to me. And I, I even, I think I kind of gave over the decision to, to hit the final decision to him. Oh, wow. Now, yeah. Because of that. And I was, uh, well, it, we are very lucky because he was extremely, extremely against, uh, doing a circumcision. Mm. So, uh, extremely against, and I, we were very united in that decision, which was very nice to be united because we had to stand um, and deal with a lot of opposition from our family. Mm. Ah, that's really interesting. So, but knowing what you know now about circumcision, like having, assuming, you know, maybe more now, I mean, it's like pointless to say what you would have done, but that's really interesting. So it actually was the, the conviction of your partner like that you it sounds like you could have been convinced to you would have given it over to him which is really interesting so wow wow that's really thanks for clarifying that and for yeah it is yeah i mean here that that's a kind of an unusual situation or i think one that i that i come across or hear of less frequently it's usually you know like the the situation i described with a mother is you know really doesn't want to and the husband does and it's like an ongoing fight and battle and like the buildup also if you're not choosing to know the sex of the baby until the baby's born like it's just it adds to like that that building tension okay well what we gonna what are we gonna do do we want to know now so we can make a decision can we be really you know anyway maybe let's let's move into now you know our connection and then uh maybe your discovery of the um, the mana letter that that Mary Lou authored, uh, which for those of you who aren't familiar or haven't listened to my episodes with Mary Lou Singleton, uh, Mary Lou Singleton is a nurse practitioner and a midwife, a lifelong women's activist who wrote a letter, authored a letter and invited uh, women from all over the world to sign a letter opposing the erasure of the words woman and mother from the core competency programs for the the the, the, you know, North American Midwives Association um, material. Uh, and so Shira is on that letter. She was one of the women who signed um, that letter, which is amazing. And because I, I, I first heard, I think I've maybe told you this, but I heard about that letter as a terrible, hateful letter circulating when I did my doula training in Brooklyn in 2016. And so I didn't know who any of the women were. I just knew they were, you know, they were described as like elder midwives or, you know, um, and, you know, my, my trainers were just so disappointed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of them were like in their thirties and forties who would sign, but some of them were like, uh, you know, really truly were elder midwives, but yeah, it was all, it was so disappointing that all these hateful women had signed this like non-inclusive letter, blah, blah, blah. So, okay. So you're in Israel, you're researching the mother, the erasure of the mother, and then you find out that the word mother is being <laughs> forbidden. 
I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. And I still can't breathe because it's like, I'm, first of all, you know, I, I, for what, two decades, I'm researching the erasure of the mother. And I was what it was like 2015, I think I discovered it. So I'm like, a decade and a half into this subject. And I researched not only in Israel, but you know, in different cultures and backwards in history and in cinema and in art and in uh, you know, uh, biology and in uh, anthrop anthropology. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm multidisciplinary. I say, okay, well, what's going on here? And what's going on here? And what's going on here? And psychotherapy and in psychiatry, you know, it's everywhere. So, you know, these are my colleagues. And I, and also I, co I cooperated with, uh, with doulas, with doulas and, mid and people in midwifery. I mean, in my exhibitions, my photography, photograph exhibitions, we had tons and tons of events and several of the events were with activist midwives. And I lectured in a conference of midwives and midwifery and uh, under the title, The Meaning of Pain. In 2004, this was. So, so I'm connected, you know, to these, mm -hmm. these amazing, amazing, amazing health workers. Mm -hmm. and, to, and to see them erasing the word mother from the most important organization for pregnant women and birthing women and uh, new mothers. I just couldn't, you know, these women know about, I thought they know about the erasure of a mother. Don't they see that this is what they're, they're cooperating with? I mean, it's still, I, it still will make me rage. I cannot be, I cannot be yeah, indifferent. I cannot mm -hmm. be indifferent to this. This really mm -hmm. makes me so angry and so sad. This is like, this is really living in a crazy, lunatic world that midwives and birth workers who know the history of women in medicine as well. I mean, and what, what you know, know the, the erasure of how, how can this be happening? So I was like, yeah, I was, um, and 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 I was connected to Mary Lou through Facebook. So I know Facebook is the, is very evil and doing tons of censorship now, but it did help me mm -hmm. connect to because uh, to connect to international colleagues, and because researching the mother is such a the mother, the mother's status, and mother work, and mother labor, and invisible labor is such a an a sidekick. And such a boutique thing to do. I was looking for my friends, you know, internationally. And Mary Lou just is amazing. I mean, Mary Lou Singleton is uh, so brave, so, so brave. And, you know, really a woman after my own heart. So so that's how I connected to her. And then uh, I, I still, I, like at the beginning when I saw this happen, it's like I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't understand mm -hmm. at all why it was happening. I kind of started looking into it and I read what Mary Lou wrote about, uh, but I didn't, I, I didn't understand it yet enough. And, uh, you know, but then I met it again. In 2019, I think I was invited to, talk at a conference in England in King's College University in London and the subject of the conference was motherhood gender and language 
I was asked by Diana Gravina, who, who produced the conference, like why, no, the, the main question was, it's like, why don't we change the word mother into a more inclusive term like parent? Answer that question. And I wrote, oh, I should have, I wrote, she said, answer that with a text and I answered it and I made a video and I also made an image about why I, Shira Richter, who researches motherhood and mother work, uh, insist on holding on to the word mother. And I, and I talked about that at the conference and I made an image in which I show myself sitting and actually holding on to a cast of my pregnant belly. You know how lots of women do. And I just sat and held on to that belly with my bare hands saying, I insist on holding on to the word mother. We, this is not, you know, we do not get rid of the word mother. And in the conference itself, I sat and listened to one of the speakers. There was more than one of speakers who explained why mother is a not inclusive term. And she, she or he, excuse me, I don't give a fuck about these people when they're erasing me. I mean, it's like you guys and gals are talking about inclusivity. You are talking about bringing everybody in so everybody feels belonging. But don't you realize that when you show the word, the, the, the sentence on this big screen where it says pregnant woman and you cross out the word mother, you cross it out in front of, in this big hall of a very famous university in London and you cross out the word mother, don't you see what you are doing? That is crossing out somebody else. That is not inclusive. That is not inclusivity. That is crossing out and erasing me. Now, you want to be in the language? I'm all for that. I'm for everyone feeling invited and comfortable and belonging. We can add your name, but why do you have to take me? Why do you have to take me, Shira, who wants to be called a mother and a woman and who bled as a woman and a mother and who fought as a woman and a mother and who, you know, why are you crossing me out of, of history, of language, and language, especially as a Jew, language and the word is sacred. You do not do that. That mm -hmm. is the most uninclusive thing in the world. And it makes me very, very angry, as you see here. <laughs> I am not indifferent to this. This is lunacy. This yeah. Absolute lunacy. And I, I was sitting there and I almost jumped out of my chair in 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 misbelief of what of what it's like, how can't can't you, you know, trans people. You know, I'm all for you being in, but how can't you see the, the ludicrousness of what you are doing? But there are no trans people. Whatever. <laughs> you tell we know this. We, we, there, there are no trans. There is no, there is no, it's just inaccurate. There are only, only women give birth. If you're not a woman, you're a man. It's that simple. If you're not a man, you're a woman. There's no trans people give birth. There's no such thing as a trans person. We're a sexually dimorphic species. There are only men and women. So this like adding on extra is just fluff because there is nothing else to add on. There is no other. There's only like I'm I'm totally against the like women and birthing people because there's no such thing as a birthing person. Women yeah. give birth. Men don't like there's no such thing as a birthing person 
person. It's a it's a roundabout, nondescript way of saying a woman. A birthing person can only be a woman. There's no such thing as an independent third birthing birthing person. But but I think at that point, I think you're describing maybe at that point you're like okay, you're still not understanding like the scope of what's going on. You're like, why are you erasing me? If you're talking about wanting to be included, include yourself. Why are you taking me out of the picture in order to quote, include yourself? Um, and one thing that you mentioned to me, uh, okay, well, that's nuts. And that makes sense. Like in terms of the timing, 2019 is everything is already in full swing, but you had mentioned that, and maybe we'll get into this when we talk about, you know, like my time in Israel uh, with the events that we did, but that you had mentioned you were at a conference with maybe it was I don't know if it was this one you were with another Israeli artist speaker feminist and you got to the conference and they introduced you as Israeli slash Palestinian which yeah. is another erasure and and horribly as you mentioned to me like I'm so glad you pointed this out to me it's like horribly offensive Right. For 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 them to pretend that you are you and this other Israeli woman are representing Palestinian women. So there's more erasure. Right. It's just and yeah. it's not more than that. Like, also, it's not just about erasure. It's it's just not accurate. Like you are not uh, like legally or historically a Palestinian woman. Like it's just not it, you just aren't. Right. Just as a Palestinian woman isn't legally and historically an Israeli woman. So. It, it's well, inaccurate. It, yeah. It gets actually, it's very confusing because uh, Israel, Palestine, the conflict, etc., is extremely, conf uh, extremely co complex. Okay. It's really, really complex. I won't go into it now, but I think the most important thing when I was, um, I was a film, a videographer for a group of women, um, noble. No, they they won the Nobel, some of them Nobel Prize winners, and they came as a delegation to Israel to interview many women's groups about the situation. And they came with very set ideas about, of course, who's bad and who's good. But actually, through about at the middle, through the middle, middle of the two weeks or something or more, suddenly I saw their eyebrows going like this, like really like knitting and they were like, <laughs> like and I say you see that that now you're starting to get it you're starting to get it because you're confused it's right. not simple and in, just to, to what you say about Israel um Palestine uh Israel was called Palestine before before it was called Israel so you have many Jews and Israelis who have Palestine and they are Palestinians on their identity papers so that's just one tiny, tiny fracture of the complexity of this, mm. of even the names of this. So, but yes, you you are right about this is a different conference, just to make clear, where I was there with a colleague of mine, and we were introduced as people, uh, as researchers and academics from Israel slash Palestine. And we were confused because we, at the beginning, we thought, oh, there must be Palestinian women here. Oh, good. We can go and talk with them. But as a Palestinian woman, I would be really, really offended that that I am represented by two Israelis, Israeli Jews. Right. Because, excuse me. Hello. They're not. I'm Palestinian. They're not Palestinian. Yeah. So, yes, you're right about that. 
Well, I got so I mean, I wasn't like surprised by this, but I got so many messages when I announced that I was in Israel. People correcting me. I love your work, but you're actually not in Israel. You're in Palestine. Stop using the word Israel. Why are you like you're a dirty Zionist? Like what? You know, just like onslaught, onslaught. And and I didn't even I think I made one post about even being in Israel. But people, anonymous users just like took, you know, took the opportunity to comment on all my posts, you know, just like nonsense activism, like what they would consider activism, which is just like language policing. Yeah. Um, and my response to that is I was not collaborating with Palestinian women. I'm not in Palestinian like declared territories. It would be totally um, disingenuous and, and misleading, like as you described in the conference, to announce to my audience that I am in Palestine. Like the people attending our events are Israeli. I hold Israeli citizenship. Like I, I, I am, I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. Like, but just by using the word mega, mega, mega critique and, and mega controversial. And, and no one even asked me what I thought. <laughs> no one was really even interested in hearing um, really anything I had to say about the conflict. And the truth is for anyone who is wondering right now, I am not an authority on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I am not. And nor do I wish to speak at length about it. Now, what I am interested in doing is continuing to visit a place where I have a history, where my family has a history. I'm interested in collaborating with many of the women that I am now connected with in the state of Israel. And and that's that's just the truth. That's just like where where this is at this is my my focus and any place in the world where people are interested in learning about my area of interest which is female erasure and exposing transgender and exposing the medical paradigm and the medical tyranny of the past two years like sign sign me up so that's exactly you know what what we did, I think the irony, too, of what, you know, just knowing you now and your um, your criticism of the of Israeli government and the IDF, like <laughs> you're not even like coming to this, you know, as like the most devout Zionist, you know, and and again, the complexity, I think most people don't even know that the most, you know, that there's a sect of very, very orthodox Jews within Israel who are highly anti-Zionist. They blame the Zionists for the conflict. So, right. Again, just the layers of complexity on this topic. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, I really appreciated all of your. Yeah. Again, like your your particular uh, intersection of experience and knowledge and background is just, I just, yeah, I find endlessly, endlessly fascinating. So, yeah. So in that conference, I was still, I was still, um, what do you call it, young regarding the transgender and transgender ide ideology uh, subject. And then Mary Lou, bless her heart, connected you and me. And just recently, and, and, uh, and of course that was uh, so fun. And you came here and you gave me a crash course 
that uh, that is totally is so valuable. We you know I we did our uh, this event where you taught people about uh, the ID um, unpacking transgender ideology 101, and I gave an introduction and we had uh, three events: one in Jerusalem, one in uh, uh, in the Tel Aviv area, and another one in uh, my, uh, up north more, and Tivon, and wow. Now I all these things that you, you that you say now now I know why what you mean because I learned from you and I'm really 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 grateful for that opportunity both to Mary Lou and to you and to all the audience who's interested because um, this idea of the erasure of the mother who thought that it would be an international tragedy that is now that we have to object to just as much as we have to object to who the who the who wanting to be the the deciders in how a country runs its health regime i mean you know everybody now who's conscious that uh, this uh covid sham is a sham and if you're not conscious and you're listening to this, please, you know, open your hearts and minds because uh, it is a sham. But who would who would think that uh, the the erasure of the mother is global, and it's the interest of the WHO as well yeah. to erase the mother? Mm -hmm. How in 2022 is this issue still an issue? And is so? And who knew? You know, I had no idea that you know it's not only important for me because I'm a woman and a mother it's global when I was like just meeting up with friends and people I hadn't seen in a while and meeting new people in Israel like just more in a kind of uh uh like a, a recreational like capacity people say oh it's not going on here we don't have that in Israel like there's a deny level of denial and I had to be like no you do it, it's it's global it's everywhere and and it might not be talked about as much here yet, but you have an advantage. You have an advantage that it's not as rampant, but it's, it, it is creeping in. It is there. It's in the schools. And I only know this because of all the, you know, the audience, the, the people who came to our events, women, and also, uh, uh, you know, Alex Aaron, who's on the ground in Israel doing incredible activism. Uh, she's the, the gender mapper. And we have, we have multiple episodes on, on my, on my podcast, Alex Aaron, the gender mapper. Um, and she's exposing all of the the clinics who are mutilating children. So it's going on in the hospitals in Israel. They're doing it to children. They're doing it to adults. You know, th these doctors have names. Right? They have addresses. They have names. Yeah. It's 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 in the army. Um, it's it's already. So anyone who uh, like goes to Israel or is interested in what's happening in Israel, like it, like call me. Yeah. Contact Shira. Contact Alex, Aaron. I mean, there are many, many other women also on the ground um, who are are fighting this. So, yeah, I, I mean, my experience there this time around was, yeah, I think a level of like denial, like, oh, you crazy people in North America. Like, we don't have that crazy yeah. bullshit here. Uh, no, it'll never take off in Israel because Israel's super macho. Like all, all of the, you know, all of the... Um, there was just it was just a level of denial, which is fine, which is why I was there to to help, you know, like band and and connect everyone and and kind of say, no, this this is an issue. Uh whether you see it or not, it's it's 
it maybe it's a, a more covert uh, at this point, but it's it's still there. And it was really, you know, someone who so I, I lived in Israel in 2017 and I was really scared to come back because I, you know, I lost friends there. I lost mentors, uh, you know, people who totally bought into um, the covid scam. And I thought, OK, oh, my gosh, who am I going to be friends with? Like, how am I going to like, is there anyone like me? Is there are who where are the people? Where are the men and women who resisted the covid nonsense, the Israelis who uh, resisted the covid nonsense? And so to be connected with you through Mary Lou and then to me, all of your like core uh, resistors, uh, dissenters um, was so uh, vitalizing and so encouraging and so hopeful, which again, just broke down the stories that many of us have around finding people who are like-minded, finding community. Because a lot of us have also bought into the narrative that like, we're the only ones, that we're the villains, that that no one is like us and that no one will get us and no one will share our same opinions, which was just totally untrue. I would say like 99% of the people who came to our events were awake to COVID and who knew that there was something wrong, something going on with the trans agenda, but they needed like just an explanation, right? Yeah. There were very few people who came who wanted to learn about the trans stuff uh, who uh, bought into COVID. Now, it's not always, you know, a, a perfect marriage, but it was this kind of brilliant intersection of of criticism. Um, and, and I will just say that like... Uh, that I have, um, like, we have to just note, like, how I think even more radical it, it was to resist all the COVID stuff in Israel versus here, given that the relationship, the like, the, the idea of body autonomy is not, like, normalized, is not even really, like, a huge talking point in Israel because of the militaristic state, because uh, people understand the, uh, the, that that they actually that they they don't own their bodies like in in that yeah. in that political yeah. social political context so yeah it was just what I'm trying to say is that it was just really an honor and like just so amazing to speak to this audience at this time in history. Thank you for that. I want to say something that's important. It's because I think one of the reasons we we had such a good audience is because um, I'm a member because of. Uh, you know, when uh, COVID started, it took me a while, but I, you know, understand what's going on. And I'm, uh, I, I'm a member of groups who are active against this, um, this takeover. And one of them is uh, called the Professional Ethics Front. I'm a member of the Professional Ethics Front, which has lawyers and doctors and, and, and uh, activists and, uh, and professors and ethics people and uh, all kinds of amazing, amazing, brave, brave people. These are the people who want to learn. There, there's a lot of doing going on. Mm -hmm. So it's important mm -hmm. to say that. Yeah. And yeah. also um, one of the things that uh, your visit in Israel helped to do is to, um, you know, because I... I promoted it on Facebook, then I, well, number one, I learned how hateful um, I am for promoting uh, consciousness <laughs> raising yeah. regarding the subject of uh, transgender ideology, not necessarily, you know, uh, personal, but the ideology. So I got to feel very fast uh, how I'm hated, 
how I'm called turf with uh, 10,000 exclamation marks. And actually, I, I didn't have a sense of humor at the beginning because that, that was very uncomfortable being attacked by people I know. Mm. But that's exactly what happened when I post things about uh, consciousness raising regarding uh, the, the inoculations. I get hateful messages or very uh, impatient messages from people I respect. That's very, uh, that's very painful. The postings got the got my adversaries out of their holes, but but also a lot of uh, people started writing to me on the private messaging platform and saying, oh, you're also conscious of this? And, and oh, great to know and come and we have these groups here. So I want to say that there is um, there are more activists here in Israel that now Isabella actually united some more of us. So uh, uniting, is, uniting us is really uh, very valuable. Tal said that uh, what you said to her, uh, no, she said what she said. One thing that Isabella said that was very meaningful, and I hope it's okay. I'm quoting her here without asking her permission, but that uh, that now is a very important time in Israel that we need to stop it now because it's getting stronger and stronger. And I just now a friend sent me two articles that the word mother and father have been erased from the papers of the red, it's not the red cross, it's something, the, the red uh, Magen David, the, the Star of David, which is actually the, the where you give blood. Mm. Soldiers are attempted, are asked all the time to give blood. Mm. Hmm. And so the papers that they are given now, this is their two articles, that there's no more uh, father and mother written on these papers, only parent one and parent two. And this is also happening in the educational system, in municipalities and in other, other places. So it's already in, it's already inside. Oh my gosh. Well, it makes sense for a global issue that we would be connected, that the women in this, like you and myself are connected, you know, that we're, that we have these global um, connections and, and this networking, you know, doesn't have to, to stop at, at uh, the local level. Now there's, yeah. So I think. I think for me, yeah, being being there with you in person and doing these events was a real like, I don't know, it just it it felt integrated, like, you know, talking about this being a global issue and then going across the globe to feel it as a global issue is an entirely different experience and it's really important. So, yeah, I will always oh, it was such a beautiful it was just a really as as dark and disturbing as the topics are that we were talking about like you said it really was an opportunity to, to connect so many women and for us to you know to present our work and and to ally and um and that, you know maybe like last thing that i want to say on this would would be that no one invited us really uh, until we started like we were invited after kind of news got around that we were doing these events but this is something that you and i put together and just decided 
to do. Like no institution invited us. No, no, no one paid uh, for uh, our expenses. Like this is, was a totally self-funded. Now we did have a, a kind of a low fee ticket that, that helped offset some of our, you know, expenses surely. But I'm trying to say is like, invite yourself. Like, if you want to do something like this, if you want to start something like this in your community, do not wait for the invitation. Invite yourself. Set it up yourself. Collaborate with women in the area. No one is... <laughs> People don't even know this is something they need to know. So yeah. who's going who's gonna to invite you for something they don't even think is worth their time, right? So my, you know, my message, you know, I guess what this experience has just been like, invite yourself more places, create these opportunities, because no one is going to kind of lay it all out all all perfectly for you. That's just not how any of this. I mean, it's not how it's worked for me. Um, I don't think it's how it's worked for you. I mean, we've both had to carve out space to do the work that we want to do and to talk about the issues that that matter to us. Yes. I think also that uh, one, after the issue, the the events and talking about the event introduced me to many people. And also, I think uh, we really, I mean, this is a global thing. I mean, it's connected, it's totally connected to the COVID thing because it's again, it's big pharma, it's money. They're using the same tactics of uh, don't talk about it of cancel culture. Uh, cancel culture, if you talk about anything regarding different research about the, the the shots, it's cancel culture. Cancel culture, if you wanna talk and research the issue of what is really done to young people's bodies in the transgender so-called taking on a new body or the right body. I mean, it's all the same. It's somebody who, 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 who's the money? It's all, it's the same, it's the same who done it. It's the mm-hmm. same dynamic. It's really similar. And because, because these bodies are so, these bodies, these institutions, these uh, uh, organizations are so, so powerful and so united actually, and have been working at this for so many years, mm-hmm. we have no choice. We have to unite globally. We have to unite globally. I mean, uh, as soon as, you know, I start suddenly I I started talking about this to people who I know who didn't come, but they said, but suddenly someone says, oh, don't ask Shira, my daughter went Mm. through this phase that she wanted to transition. Oh, don't ask my son. Suddenly it suddenly it's, 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 it's all under the surface. It's happening already. I didn't even know about how much, how deep it is. So yeah, we can, you know, finish on them. Mm-hmm. I think tone of collaborating and, and, and we need to collaborate. We, we, it's really, really important mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it's very, very big. Yeah. Yep. Oh, thank you so much, Shira. I really, oh, I loved, I mean, I, a lot of the things that we talked about today, uh, you had already, you know, shared and we've, we've already spent so much time together, but I just loved hearing even more and more detail and kind of, yeah, every, everything. It was just such a pleasure. And I'm so excited for women to listen and to share this episode and um, anyone who wants to learn more about Shira's work. Um, I'm going to be linking all relevant websites, links in the, in the show notes. So be sure to, to check that out. 
Thank you so much, Isabella, for all of your work and for a great, great time. And I wish us luck, you know, with yeah. all of us. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or family member who needs to hear this content. And if you do share it on social media, don't forget to follow and tag me at whose body is it. So until next time.